Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your name. Thank you for your church family. We pray, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit now. Supplant our weakness with your strength and your direction. Open our hearts up to you, even as we open your word up to us, and we pray, be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I've said several times in this series, as we've been talking about Simon the Rock Johnson, that I really like Peter. I've always loved Peter. Peter's great. He's a doofus, though. He's an absolute doofus. He's a perfect example of somebody who, who wants to do the right thing, but has so much energy and so much enthusiasm they can't be bothered with focus. But he's also a perfect example of somebody who, when he eventually does get focused, is a force to be reckoned with. Peter, Peter before Pentecost and Peter after Pentecost. It's like the difference between a, a tornado and a sandblaster. The difference between a, a, a forest fire and a welding torch. You can do a lot for the Lord if you are both enthusiastic and focused. As we've been going through this, I've been encouraging you to think about the, um, the mnemonic device. As you're, as you're thinking about Peter, if you want to remember Peter, if you want to think about what, it, what his life would suggest, think about 231. Think about the, the number two, that there's, there were two different callings. God had to do a double tap to get Peter's attention because God reached out to him, said, follow me. And Peter's like, yeah, 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 no, sure, whatever. Yeah, okay. As long as there's not a ball game on, yeah, whatever. You know, as long as I can wake up in time, sure. You know, I, if I don't have anything else going on, sure. Yeah, 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 it's fine. Yeah, okay, whatever. And then I had to get his attention again before Peter said, oh, I, I see, you want, you want me to follow you. And I think of three, as we talked about last week, where, where Peter, Peter had all this enthusiasm, all this energy, and he was so certain that he was right, so certain they didn't actually have to listen to God because he was already so certain that he was right of this stuff he hadn't really thought through. And he had all this enthusiasm, all this buff and bluster, which not only directed him in the wrong directions, had him chop off a servant's ear, had him say, hey, let me make stupid suggestions. But it also doesn't last when you come under pressure, when you come under scrutiny. When Peter faced pressure from the horrid authority of a servant girl around a fire in the middle of a camp, a courtyard, a servant girl said, wait, aren't you one of those followers? And he crumpled. Because amazingly, having blustery emotions doesn't last. It doesn't direct in healthy ways, and it doesn't last when you hit something that's complicated. And so... So around that, around that fire in that courtyard, he, his, his, his relationship with God crumbled three times over. But then Christ, over a, a breakfast fire, graced on him three times over, brought him back into relationship and said, I'd like you to do this right. Well, two, three, one. Today I want to talk about not just God having, truly having your attention, and not just God showing that he loves you and forgives you and has reached out to you specifically for a relationship with him. But I want to talk about letting God focus us, give us one singular vision that directs your enthusiasm, directs your life. In some ways, it's, a, it's an application of what Sarah talked about the other week. Remember when Sarah quoted Jesus as saying, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be filled with light. 
if your eyes are good, if your eyes are healthy, if your eyes are singular, they're not folded, twisted, unfocused. If they are focused in the one singular direction, that's when you're going to be able to see good. That's when it's going to work. Because there are two good lines in the movie City Slickers. And one of those lines is that in your life, really, really, there is one thing that matters more than anything else. In everybody's life, there is one thing that is absolutely crucial. And you will build your whole life around it. You will pivot everything in your life around it. It will help you prioritize everything. There is one thing. And you just need to figure out what that is. But everybody has one core thing that everything else technically is ancillary to. So if I were you guys, if I were me, I would try to make sure that I use some wisdom and choose wisely what that one thing is. You don't want that to shift from day to day. You don't want that to be something that's out of focus. I want to make sure that my life is focused on and surrounding and built upon Christ. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Great Commission, that opportunity that Jesus gave us to reach out to the whole world. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, he tells his disciples. I want you to go. You have to actually get up and move. And I want you to make disciples. And you do that by baptizing him in the name, the singular name, not plural, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Help them to make a a public declaration that who they were, they are no longer that person. That they have left that that sinful life at the bottom and they've broken the surface again, something new and fresh and clean. And then teach them what that means. But I love that there's only one name. One name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not three gods, it's not three different focus points it's it's one name one god one lord one singular focus of worship and he tells them in acts one that you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and in samaria and to the ends of the earth but wait in jerusalem i want you to go but i want you until then i want you to wait here because i don't want you just to scatter with a scattered vision i want you to be filled with the holy spirit and have one singular directed vision so help me out here does god want us less focused today do you want us less empowered than he wanted his early church we've got it all together we don't need his power anymore we've got such a clear focus for outreach we we don't even need to work on it right it just just happens so naturally two three one let god get your attention let him show you his grace live that out in a spirit focused not just enthusiastic way. Because today we're going to talk a little bit about Pentecost. And having been involved in Pentecostal churches in the past, I'm aware that in some churches, when you talk about Pentecost, you really focus on the emotions and the enthusiasm and the passion and the excitement. Those aren't bad, but that's not what Pentecost was ever about. It wasn't about emotions and passion and enthusiasm. It was about power and about focus. It was about God changing us and God leading us and empowering us. So let's pick the story up at Pentecost. If you don't have your Bibles already, open up to Acts chapter 2. 
We're going to pick it up at the 50th day after Passover, Pentecost, when every good Jew from all around the world is supposed to get to Jerusalem for the harvest festival. That's what uh, Exodus 23 said, Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16. That's what Paul says later on in Acts 20, that he's desperate to get back to Jerusalem by Pentecost because that's what he's supposed to be doing. Well, when the day of Pentecost came, traditionally, it's, we've talked about this before, traditionally, it's the anniversary of when God spoke his covenant to Noah. Is it really the day where God spoke his covenant to Noah? I have no idea, but that was the Jewish tradition. Traditionally, it's the day when Moses spoke the law from Mount Sinai and his voice broke into 70 different languages. Is, is that what happened? I don't, I don't know, but it's tradition. It's Jewish myth. The Bible doesn't say that, but, but everybody on Pentecost would have been primed to hear from God. Go to Jerusalem from all over the world. Be primed to hear from God. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all whopping 120 of them. It's the entirety of the church of Jesus Christ. And suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, the, the compartment, the room off of the, off the temple that they were meeting in. Um, so how do you read the grammar of that? Is that saying that, that the sound filled the room or the wind filled the room? Or since the, the word that they use here for wind is also related to the word pneuma for spirit, is it saying that the spirit filled the room? What is, is it the spirit? Is it the wind? Is it the sound filled the room? What filled the room? It was a filled room, okay? <laughs> Rush, whatever that is, fill the room. And ain't nobody sleeping. So if those of you who went, Oh, Kevin just got my attention by making a whoosh noise. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And what does that mean? I don't know. But it was impressive looking. It was funky looking. And God's Spirit is resting on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of fillage going on. Lots of filling. And this isn't just when Christ had breathed and they had received his spirit as Christians. This isn't just, oh, well, the Holy Spirit is working within you. This is filled to overflowing. Different word. Different verb. It's the difference between saying, there's water in my glass and I have filled it to overflowing, it's running over, and I've thrown it into the swimming pool, and it's sunk to the bottom, and every point of this is overfilled and saturated. In fact, somehow it's bleeding into the glass itself. The entire glass itself is now filled with water. It is completely saturated and oversaturated and spilling out toward everybody else. That's the kind of Holy Spirit relationship I think I would like. I don't just want a little compartment of my life set aside where I go. And Jesus is allowed to live in that portion of my life. And let's be honest. Have you ever even... No, don't look at me. Don't make eye contact. Have you ever even tacitly treated it that way? Well, there's a... Yeah, the Holy Spirit's in me, but I mean, it's over here and I don't let it affect... I want... I want to be hyper, super saturated and overflowing and having that Holy Spirit bleeding out into every part of my life and overfilling into everybody around me. That's what I want. And all of them were filled with this Holy Spirit this way and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Holy Spirit enabled them. 
like a nod to those Shavuot traditions that they're experiencing at this Harvard festival that they, that they do every year. These guys were changed, and they were given words to speak. And they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, because they're supposed to come back for Shavuot, this, this particular harvest festival. And when those people heard this, a, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in their own language. They're coming from all over the world, and they're hearing it as if they're all over the world. But they knew these guys are just from Galilee. They, they were amazed. They said, wait, aren't these guys speaking Galileans? You can tell from the accent. These aren't people that are well-read. These aren't people from Cappadocia. These are, these are Galileans. These are fishermen and stuff. How is it that each of us hears them speaking in, in our own language? I mean, we hear him declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Because it's not just that these Christians were babbling phrases in other languages. They were worshiping in other languages. Seventy tongues, hundred languages, two hundred, who knows? Speaking about one name, worshiping one God. What it sounded like God was talking to each of them in their heart language in a language that they knew more than anything, on this perfect day where they're primed to listen to God, everyone from everywhere around to listen, and amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Because some of them were moved, and some of them refused to be moved. Some of them assumed, well, it's a harvest festival, these guys are plastered, and they're just babbling. Other people are like, are you listening? Do you hear what I'm hearing? This isn't just a bunch of Galileans babbling. And then Peter stood up, Simon the Rock Doofus Johnson, who seldom thought through his words or actions. Peter stood up and spoke with words that came from energy and enthusiasm, given laser-like precision. Because Peter's words weren't just Peter's words this time. Peter, of all people, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Peter is going to explain this. I love Peter, and he's never been stupid, but he has never been... Let me just clarify, this is Peter doing this, okay? Simon Peter. There might have been other guys in the, in the, in the, in the disciples that, that understood theology well, and that's great, but they didn't have the... The moxie that Peter, Peter's all about moxie. He's all about chutzpah. He's all about, oh, I, I have very few inhibitions. Now he's got direction. Peter, of all these people, is going to explain this. Because just because Peter was a doofus, it doesn't mean he has to stay that way. Any more than you or I do, right? Peter stood up and said, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And I got, I got to think he never felt more like Jesus than, no, no, stop, think. <laughs> I, trust me on this one. I know how this goes. Listen carefully to what I say. These men aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. It's too early to be drunk, even for the harvest festival. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And I love it that Peter, Simon the Rock Johnson, filled with the Holy Spirit, lets loose. 
In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Not just speak the future, but speak capital T truths from God. They'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. They will understand capital T truth from God. And that overflowing spirit will overflow out of them. And they can't help themselves but speak God's truth. And they can't help themselves but share it with you. They are overflowed to overfilling. And that's what you're seeing here. And isn't that what every Christian should want? Isn't that what every Christian should want? I don't mean, well, would you be particularly good at public speaking like this? I don't mean... it. Isn't that what every Christian should want? Is to say, I want God to move in me, through me, so powerfully that I can't help but speak that truth. Isn't that what we should all be wanting? And if you find yourself going, no. This sermon's for you. (laughs) So God says in Joel and through Peter, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. It's going to be like that when Jesus comes back. Though I wonder how many people would have remembered seven weeks earlier. Remember that day seven weeks earlier when there were earthquakes and the sun went dark and the earth cracked open and dead people came out and the and the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, and everybody went, what? And there was this Roman that went, who did we just kill? Remember that day, seven weeks ago? And Peter goes, do you remember that day? The beginning of the great and glorious day of the Lord? That's what's going to happen before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And, and here's where Peter's been leading up to, and Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You guys have all heard this. You've read Joel. You guys are all here in Jerusalem. You're here in the temple. You're here to worship God. Let me speak from Joel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everybody knows that name. And they've read Joel. They go, right, Yahweh, right? That's what what it is, the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Peter says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, that's Yahweh. It's Jesus. That's the name. Everyone who calls on that name. That's what this has always been pointing to. Do we call on Jesus or do we call on Yahweh? Is it, do we call on the name of the Father? Or do we call on the separate name of the Son? Or do we call on the separate name of the Spirit? How does... That's the wrong way of looking at it. There's only one name here. Paul says there's one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. So, so much of the time, like Peter, we can get so distracted by so many things. But what if you could cut through all of that and focus on one thing? One core truth. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And everything else revolves around that. Everything else is built off of that. 
You know I love me and my Kierkegaard. Because any sermon should quote both City Slickers and Kierkegaard. But um, I love me and my Kierkegaard. And one of the things that he said that I really liked was purity of heart is to will one thing. Just one thing. That's when you know that your heart is pure. Now, it might be purely sold out to evil. Or it might be purely sold out to good. But to pick one thing, to have a pure heart that says this, this one thing, as Christians shouldn't that one thing be Christ. One core thing, purely sold out to God. At Pentecost, Peter quotes from Joel. He ends up quoting from David. He cuts to people's hearts because he's more than just Peter. He's more than just what he could be, the energetic doofus that we all know he can be. He's more than what he could be alone because he's not just Peter. He's Peter filled with God's spirit, filled to overflowing and empowered beyond himself. Do not just be your best self. That's foolish. Be bigger than you are. Be deeper than you are. Be richer than you are. And be more powerful than you are. Because you are not just a good person who sits in a pew. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of the living God. And part of his family. And filled with his Holy Spirit. Amen? Peter, filled with God's spirit, filled to overflowing, empowered beyond himself, addressed the crowd. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Because what, what can any of us do in response to a sermon like this, a message like this from Peter, where he's calling us to seek God with one clear focus, call on one name? Peter, being Peter, in a good way, in a good way replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Do a 180 from what, the way you've been living. Turn your life away from what you've been doing and turn to face God. Make a public declaration that you are living a new life now. Peter's like, man, I, I know what this is like. Trust me, when you get your eyes off of God, now that's when you start to sink, isn't it? I remember one time when I walked on water until I got my eyes off of Jesus. Trust me on this. From, i got experience in this, guys. Do a 180 and then make a public declaration. Repent and be baptized. Every single one of you. Don't hide it. Don't keep trying to do your thing. Don't sort of listen to God. Trust me. Don't let him bang you twice. Don't just think that you can't be saved. Don't, don't crumple. Don't make him grace on you three times. Trust me from experience, guys. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What you see here, what we have, you can have that also. You can have God living within you, empowering you every day, spilling out of you and overflowing into everyone around. You can have that. You can have that. Just open your heart, not a, not a trickle of the faucet, just whip it open. Say, God, use me however you want. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Is this a first century Pentecost thing? Is this a 19th century in a Azusa Street? Is this, is this for somebody other than you? I'm pretty sure even Peter says this is for all whom God would call. 
And if I'm wrong, the Holy Spirit won't fill you. Congratulations. And you'll sit there exactly the way you are now. But if I'm right, don't ever just sit the way you are. Don't ever. Peter quotes from Joel. He quotes from David. He cuts people to the heart because it's not just Peter. It's not just what he could be alone. It's filled with God's Holy Spirit, filled to overflowing. And he overflows into others because he's empowered beyond himself. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'm not a huge fan of counting numbers to gauge spirituality, but that number seems significant. They went from 120 to 3,120 because Peter said, all that enthusiasm gets focused. And maybe Philip is as focused as I am but he's not willing to stand up and speak it. I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to step out, and I'm willing to be filled and used. We've seen what Peter can do on his own. We've seen him be a doofus on his own. And we've seen him walk on water, and we've seen him reach thousands for Christ, and it's not because he's trying real hard. It's not because he's living a moral life. It's not because he has enthusiasm. It's not because he finally has confidence. Those things are great. Is that why? He really thought through this, or man, he really put it together. He's an incredible public speaker. He just, he's been living such a moral life. He's just really, he's got a lot of enthusiasm. He just finally has confidence in himself. He's trying really. Is it that? Or is it he goes, I have one singular focus and the willingness to express it. I am empowered by the Spirit of God. The difference isn't hard work or enthusiasm. It's being totally sold out and genuinely following God in one singular, pure focus on Jesus. Look how that plays out. In Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and the disciples healing a crippled beggar. So in Acts chapter 4, of course, they get in trouble for it. Religious leaders in verse 7 had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Literally, who gave you the right to do a miracle like this? Last time Peter was pressed like this, and not even by somebody in charge, right? The last time he was pressed by this, he crumpled. <laughs> by what power, by what name do you do this? And then Peter, what does your Bible say? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, at that moment, suddenly filled to overflowing. Had he had the Holy Spirit in him at verse 6? Sure, he's a Christian. But in verse 8, he is filled to overflowing. The Holy Spirit supersaturates him and fills out. The Holy Spirit that lived within him is now pouring out of him. And he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, it really? That's really what we're in trouble for? Okay. And if we're being asked how he was healed, then know this, you, you and all the people of Israel, since you specifically asked us, to name the name in which we have power, to name the name that's given us authority, since you're specifically asking us in a specific official court case to read into the official records for posterity the name by which we have power and authority to do miracles you can't. Just, just to let me clarify, if that's what you're wanting, then know this. And whoever's taking notes, jot it down. 
you and all the people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you guys crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Mic drop. Not, but he's not doing that. He's not being snotty about it. He's going, no, this guy that you're saying you did a miracle. You're saying you guys healed. We're looking at him standing in front of you. This guy that nobody is denying was healed. You want to know how we did it? I will give you the one name by which we did this. This is not the same Simon Johnson that withered when a servant girl said, aren't you one of them? Seven weeks ago. And it's not that he grew up. It's not that he matured. It's not that he's trying harder. It's that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and lets God use and direct him. Seven weeks ago, he was afraid to be associated with Jesus. He was afraid to be judged. Now he's like, no, let me judge you by that name that I was afraid to be connected with. Let me call down curses. I don't know the man. No, let me curse you because I know the man. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone, quoting Psalm 118.22. In fact, he takes it further, and he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. One name, one. One Savior, just one. A light switch that you flip on or you flip off. There is no dimmer. Anybody can flip it on, but it is still a light switch. Just one. John 3.16 or John 3.18. Nothing in between. Eternal life with Jesus Christ or you stand condemned already without him. There's only one name. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And Simon the Rock Johnson says, I know what my one thing is. I know what my one thing is and I'm not letting go of it. Paul later wrote to the Corinthians, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In Ephesians, he wrote to Asia Minor saying, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, which we talked about in Sunday school, this metaphor and symbol of of authority. And Paul said, God seated Jesus far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above all of that, above every title that can be given, literally every name that can be named. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. Paul told the Philippians, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. Do you see a theme? There's one name, and it's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, Paul says, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because it's not trading Yahweh for Jesus. It's giving glory to the Father, being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can follow the Son. Purity of heart, willing one thing. As Paul told the Romans, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in that name, if you call on that name, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. It may not be easy, but it's simple. Singularly simple. As the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to, say, to shame, quoting Isaiah. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, quoting Joel, the same verse that Peter had done in Pentecost, which brings us back to Simon the Rock Johnson standing there before his enemies who are trying to shut him up and nonetheless trying to reach them for Jesus. 
using that as an opportunity. Wait, so you're specifically asking me to name a name. Yes, okay, I'll name a name. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's one name, one Savior, and guys, don't make him call you twice. There's one name, one Savior. Don't make him seek you out and grace on you three times over because you dropped the ball three times over. There is one name, one Savior. Let him be your absolute one pure and holy passion. Trust me, I speak from experience. We're told in verse 18 of Acts 4, the religious leaders then commanded them not to speak or teach at all. They're like, we'll let you go. You just can't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You can be Christians as much as you want. Just don't tell people. How many of us today would say, that's okay, I don't anyway. changes nothing in my life i get to be a christian i get to go to church i get to do all i want i just don't tell my neighbor i don't tell my coworker. i don't tell my friends i don't make a big to-do about it i don't offend anybody by saying jesus yeah oh I, i'm fine with that i don't want to be that kind of christian i don't want to be that kind of christian Leaders commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Because that name is either going to be a stone that you build on or a rock that you trip over, but it, it will be an immovable object in your life. But Peter, being Peter, and John replied, judge for yourselves. You guys tell us whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. If I can only obey one, which one should it be? For we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I can't help it. It just burbles out. I can't help it. I mean, if the world tries to silence you, if the world says, well, that name is a stumbling block, you can't, you can't, you can't talk about that name in Austria. People won't respond well. You can't talk about that name at school. People will be offended. You can't talk about that name. You can't talk. You can't. Do we say, oh, okay, all right. Or, How good are you at staying quiet? Or do we say, wait a minute, no, wait, no. If I've learned anything from Peter, it's that... When God calls me, I want him to be able to do that once, and I want to pay attention. When God, when God shows me his grace, I want to assume that it's not just my energy level that I know better than him. It's that he's reaching out to me and is showing grace to me. He'll do it three times over to get my attention to bring me into his relationship. And then he wants me to have one singular focus. Be sold out to him with laser-like precision. I want to be a welding torch for Jesus. Be a welding torch, not a forest fire. Certainly not a cooling ember. Be a welding torch. Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for Peter. I thank you for this lovable doofus who, like me, doesn't know what he's talking about. And I thank you that you fill him with your Holy Spirit. And he becomes something special. Not because he is, but because you are working through him. Be glorified, Lord. Not just in Peter's life, but in our lives as a church. Help us to reach those around us. Help us simply to speak your truth. 
and your name for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.